the time invested is certainly less than uh, than it was 18 months ago. And it's been, the company is more profitable, certainly more profitable per door, which is the metric that I focus on. Welcome to the episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. I'm here with Luke Street. Luke, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, good morning. Happy to be here. Tell us a little bit about your background. How did you get into property management, Luke? Uh, yeah, so I started in real estate when I was just out of high school. My dad had done real estate for 20 years. He'd owned a brokerage. Uh, and so I saw it as a good way to pay my way through college. Uh, you know, beer money, stuff like that. I'd never really planned to go into real estate because I'd seen him do it. It wasn't something that was super exciting to me. Uh, and I was lucky enough to get into right at the 2004 boom and just ride that wave all the way through, uh, through my college years. And I did well at it. Um, and when I graduated college in 2008, it was the market bust. And so, uh, you know, jobs were hard to come by. It was kind of, um, kind of a weird position to be in, but I had a management degree. I had real estate experience. And so I connected with a property management company away from, uh, away from my dad. Uh, I wanted to do my own thing, be my own man. And so I connected with him, uh, worked at that company for about four years, uh, and then the BP oil spill hit. And he, uh, he had a vacation rental company and they, he, he did well with the BP oil payouts and things like that. So he retired and we bought his property management company out at that time. Uh, and I partnered with my dad, another business partner to, uh, to start main street property management at that point. So, um, uh, doing that was in 2000, gosh, 2011. It's kind of an oddball anecdote. Tell me a little bit more about the BP oil. Oh, oh, yeah. So uh, 2000, gosh, I think it was 2011, uh, BP oil spill happened, tons of oil in the Gulf, a lot of businesses impacted, you know, there was a bunch of lawsuits and things. And so there was a lot of money being handed out to businesses that were impacted by the impact on the economy or impact on tourism up and down along the Gulf Coast. Uh, Pensacola is right on the beach. And so we had a whole year where our tourism just was non-existent. And so uh, a lot of the payout from BP was to businesses that were impacted and vacation rentals was obviously one of them. So, um, you know, we can go real far into the rabbit hole of how legitimate a lot of this payout was. Uh, but there were there were legitimate businesses that were impacted and suffered because of the, the oil spill in the Gulf. Um, and the company I worked for was one of them. And that was an opportunity for him to retire, get out, and say, hey, I, I just, it's not the business for me anymore. So we use as an opportunity to purchase his company. Uh, and he moved to Missouri. <laughs> Tell me about the business today. What's the mix of long-term, short-term size, scope, team yeah, account? Yeah, so we we sold the short-term company in 2018. Um, again, we wanted to focus on the long-term side of stuff. I enjoyed that a lot more. Um, we now manage about 600 doors, mainly single family. Uh, we're about 70, 30 split between single family and small time, uh, multifamily. And then we operate, uh, about half and half for in-person staff and then remote team members. What's total headcount right now? We're at 11 plus me. Tell me more about that decision to move away from short term. Uh, it's a tough, tough market to manage and it's a tough, uh, business to be in for staff. And so we just had real high turnover, um, you know, from March to. August or September, you're just working 80 hours a week. You're on call all the time. 
uh, people are just, you know, just like you're running a hotel spread across an entire beach. Uh, so the burnout was real high on that. Uh, and we just never could find the right person to, to be in that role. Uh, we had a couple of managers that we put a lot of faith into that just didn't work out. Uh, and so it was something that, Hey, we're, we're not doing well at this. Uh, and it's impacting our long-term side of things. And so we had an opportunity to sell to, uh, a larger competitor that, um, was operating in a couple of different places. So we grabbed that and then focused on the long-term stuff. Yeah. And for somebody that was <clears throat> thinking about it's somebody for somebody that's in maybe doing neither and thinking about committing to one or the other, how would you describe your assessment of the pros and cons of picking one? Um, well, you know, the short-term market has completely changed since 2015 with, you know, the, the really big influx of Airbnbs. And so there's almost two markets inside of short-term rentals. There's vacation rentals, which are beachfront properties or, or destination properties that are very, very nightly or weekly. And then there are the short-term rentals that are more um, professional-based or, or use-based that are in town. You know, people aren't necessarily renting them to vacation. They're renting them because they need to be in that area. And they're, they're two different markets. You know, the, the vacation rental side is that high demand peak season stuff. The, the in-town, more professional use is a bit more spread out across the whole year. Now you have peak seasons. Um, so there's something there to be said that you should be in one of those markets, but you can't really treat them the same. Uh, as far as the long-term stuff, that is, uh, that is a, you know, business of nickels and dimes. So you, you really have to focus on minimizing your, your costs or your DLER, your direct labor, uh, and what that looks like and focus on where you can bring in additional revenue. So the, the short-term side money is really good. Um, but it's a much more high demand, uh, role for your staff, yourself, however you have it set up. Long-term stuff is certainly more steady, but the, the, the income revenue side necessarily isn't as high. So you just got to decide what kind of work life balance you want and what your, your business model would look like. Um, people do very well at both. So it just depends on your market and, and what you're looking for. So your business is obviously transitioning. This is one example you're choosing mm -hmm. to focus here. What are the kind of big transitions have you seen in the business over the last couple of years? Uh, for us, it's, it's really been property type and focus on revenue versus door count. Uh, and I think that's been a big push at both in the Arkham community and a lot of other places is, you know, you used to come to these conventions and everyone would say, Hey, what's your door count? How many doors do you manage? How many properties do you manage? Whatever the question was. Uh, and that was always the, you know, the measuring tool to see how big you are, how successful you were. Uh, and there's really been a conversation nowadays about, you know, how profitable are you or how successful are you in, uh, in other metrics. Uh, and that was a real eye opener for me. Cause you know, when we started, uh, in 2011, we were at like a hundred doors and we just wanted to grow, 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 grow. We jumped up to 700 ish. Um, but we weren't necessarily making more money. You know, the, the point of our business was to, to make a little bit of profit and, uh, we were making, you know, more money in terms of, of revenue, but our expenses were going up. Uh, our staff wasn't happy. They were more stressed out. Uh, and so, you know, we got connected with a couple of vendors and, and had discussions on focusing on a more profitable property, a, a more, uh, revenue based business model versus just saying door count, door count, door count. You know, we were dumping a ton of money into bringing on properties and they weren't good properties. 
Uh, so that was one of the the shifts for us. Um, I think the other thing is now competing with the short-term side of things. You know, you're, you used to be a long-term property was a long-term property and a short-term was a vacation rental on the beach and they were separate. Now, a lot of our, our conversation with clients is, Hey, should I rent my house out short-term weekly, monthly rental, or should I put it on what we consider long-term as anything longer than seven months? Uh, and you're seeing, you know, the ebbs and flows of everyone going to short-term. We're seeing a lot coming back to long-term. Uh, so that's brought a different dynamic to, to how we manage things. How do you navigate that conversation with owners of somebody wondering if they should convert? It's a very simple for us cost benefit analysis of saying, this is what you would make on short term. This is what we would expect you to make on long term. Uh, you know, here are the disadvantages to a short term market. You know, a short term market is more uh, impacted by economical downturns. It's not necessarily as recession proof, long term market. Uh, the revenue isn't as high, but it's much more stable. It's much more low, uh, low time investment for you. So we, we have those conversations. I have no problem telling people that their property would make more money in a short-term market. Um, but it's, it's shifting back towards long-term in a lot of instances, particularly for those in-town properties that, um, you know, people necessarily aren't vacationing at, but they're just using because they need to come visit family or they're in town for work. Uh, we're seeing that market get a bit saturated. And so vacancy rates are way up on that. So it's, it's a pretty easy conversation to have when you can show people the numbers and their expectations, they don't always listen to it. Uh, but it is, um, it is something we hadn't had to have really talk about before now. Uh, and the flip side of that is we're having a lot of, uh, furnished properties come back. Mm. So that's something mm. that, you know, we never used to rent furnished long-term rentals. They're just every once in a while you get one or two, but now we've, we probably have one or two a month come over and we've either got to decide how to help them offload the furniture mm -hmm. uh, or rent it furnished and and set expectations on vacancy time. So that's that's been a new new twist to things too is I've we've been doing a lot of like charity donations and trying to help with Facebook marketplace, just these most abnormal ways to get rid of furniture. Uh, because you know the the demand for long term furniture just isn't very high. Got it. Yeah. So what percentage of the time when somebody comes to you with furnished are you recommending that they just dump what they have. Uh, it depends on the house. You know, if it's a small apartment, it's, it's, you know, one or two bedrooms and a little bit of furnishings, it's usually better to get rid of it. If they've got an entire house, like the logistics of trying to get rid of that furniture for them is pretty high. Um, so in that instance, we'll try and set expectations that we can rent it. Your vacancy rate's just going to be a little bit higher because it'll take us longer to find somebody. Uh, there just aren't as many people looking for a fully furnished three bedroom, two bed house these days. Yeah. It's more like a corporate kind yeah, of situation. Yeah. It's right? a corporate thing. Uh, we've had luck connecting with insurance companies um, because insurance companies, you know, you have a fire, a flood, mm -hmm. something where somebody's it's house is damaged. Yeah. And they need a fully furnished rental for, you know, five, six, 12 months until their house gets rebuilt. So we've had good luck with that, but they're just not that many displaced people unless there's a big storm, a uh, big storm would change things. But otherwise, yeah, it's a, it's a smaller market. Now, seven months is an interesting threshold for thinking about short-term versus long-term. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing short term, <clears throat> particularly with platforms like Airbnb, mm -hmm. kind of push up against how long can you rent. I have rented an Airbnb for, I think, as long as six months, which was a very interesting experience yeah. because there was no lease in place. <laughs> it was the same as if I had rented it for a weekend, but it was a full six months. And Brian Chesky has spoken directly to a desire to try and push that yep. 
longer and longer and longer. What are you seeing or prognosticating about these platforms kind of pushing on that, basically blurring that edge? Uh, you know, for well, for us, we set it at seven months because in Florida, six months in a day is the threshold where you wouldn't have to pay sales tax. So that's just kind of a, a line in the sand. The Florida says if it's more than six months in a day, you don't have to pay sales tax. If it's less than six months in a day, you do. So that's where we come up with that number. The the platforms shifting over to this midterm lease thing is now a popular term. Uh, I think that may necessarily be a, a reaction to expectations on the economy. Again, short-term rentals are very heavily impacted by economic downturns. People don't vacation as much. Businesses don't send their people on travel as much. And so it may be preparation for that, um, but it may be response to people in your position where you need a midterm lease and you know you can't find a long-term lease because you don't want 12 months, but you don't want to pay weekly astronomical prices for six months. Uh, and so they may be seeing a demand for that. So it's tough to say where it's coming from. Um, but I think we'll see a, a bit of a heavier impact on the Airbnb stuff uh, if the economy does end up, you know, if we go into a recession uh, or they try and keep inflation rates down and impact, you know, jobs and, and that kind of um, response. But yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to see them come out in support of or trying to encourage their clients to do that, Airbnb in particular, pushing that midterm thing. When you mentioned staff burnout with short term, could you give a little more color on what that, what that felt like? Yeah. And that was, again, that was related to the vacation rental side of things. So, you know, Florida is peak season in the summer and we would just have 80 hour weeks, you know, you'd, you'd have to be on call all the time. And so it was tough to, to balance the amount of staff you needed to respond to that kind of demand, mm -hmm. uh, and remain a profitable company. Um, and so we just had people that, you know, one or two seasons and like, hey, I, I need to find something that's not necessarily demanding. And so it really takes finding the right kind of person because the flip side is, is you also get from September to February where you're working 20 hours a week and you're not necessarily having to be in the office every single day. It slows down a lot. Uh, and we just, we couldn't find the, the magic formula to make that work for some of our staff. Um, but it is, it's a, you know, a legitimate concern in the short-term market for, for vacation rentals. Uh, and I will say that was before we really had any experience with remotes. I think remotes team, remote team members is a really good way to address that. Um, cause you can, you can staff a lot more on call people for, you know, the cost of an in-person thing and then relieve your in-person people to do the real heavy lifting or the high demand or high value task that you need them to do versus, you know, answering booking phone calls or answering calls on how do I get into my unit, all those like real low value tasks have to be done because you want your customer service to be, uh, you know, stellar or world-class in our, our case. Uh, but it does take away from your staffing. So, you know, I don't know how people do it without remote teams now, but, uh, that was our issue is we just had not discovered the value of remote team members yet. Now you said 600 doors, 11 team members, half are RTMs. Did I get that right? Uh, six are in office and yeah, five are. Got it. So that's fairly efficient. Talk to me about some numbers. You mentioned DLER, so I'm mm -hmm. going to assume you have some level of familiarity and conversancy with the whole labor optimization. Yeah. <clears throat> what are you aiming at in terms of finances, profitability, et cetera? Yeah. And like I mentioned, we shifted from, hey, I want door counts to I want profitable company. Uh, and so we really focus on uh, you know, a rent range or a rent price minimum. So we don't take anything less than a certain rent price. 
Uh, and then we, we, what, utilize, what is that run price out of curiosity? Uh, it's, so we keep it at the average rent price for a single family home in our market, which right now is about 1500. Got it. So that's a bit of a moving line. Um, cause I want realistically my properties to be better than average is, mm -hmm. is the mindset there. Uh, and that would change in different markets, but, uh, we found that that brings in a higher property management fee, uh, and typically an easier property to manage or a, a less, um, less work intensive property to manage, I guess is the best way to put that. Uh, so we, we made that change. You know, we jumped up to 700, uh, in the last two years, we let go of about 150 doors, um, just kind of phasing out the, the low income CD properties, uh, which let us focus on uh, you know, our AB properties and our higher rent ones. Uh, so that was a big change for us is, is moving away from properties that were more work for less money. And that really helps the staff too, because you know, the 80, 20 rule, 20% 20 of your, uh, clients or clientele cause 80% of your problems. If you just get rid of the 20% of your clients that do that, you really free up your staff and your company to service the clients that high value, appreciate you and, and bring in other business. And so, uh, that was a shift that we did really like right before COVID. Um, you know, we connected with profit coach, they'd let us really dial down where we're making money or where we're not making money. Uh, and so right before COVID, we started that COVID threw some loops in there. Um, but yeah, we finished up kind of our, our clearing of house, uh, beginning of this year and have just been focusing on increasing our efficiency, um, and decreasing, um, our labor costs and our business costs to uh, kind of offset what that looks like on our profit side of things. So what percentage of owner prospects do you turn down because of that parameter? That's a good question. I don't know if I track that. What's your gut intuition? Yeah, I would probably say 30%. Yeah, 30%. Yeah. And we we have pretty good partnerships and relationships with other PMs in the area that I refer them to. Uh, they're all NARPA members. Um, but yeah, so we refer business pretty well to other companies. Um, and it 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 works well. I think we'll see a bit of a shift with, um, with rental clients right now because you'll have a lot of people coming on the rental market that are reluctant landlords or, you know, whatever your term is for them these days, uh, people that don't necessarily want to rent. Um, and traditionally that's not been an issue in probably the last five or six years. It really hasn't been something that's, that's come about, but I think we'll see a lot more of that. Uh, and so that will be really where you need to use intuition to say, is this going to be a good client? Um, because they'll, they're typically the ones that, you know, even if they have a higher rent property, maybe a little more high maintenance. And so, you just be careful about your selection process. Make sure you're setting expectations really well in this market, uh, because those types of reluctant landlords don't necessarily, you know, they're not in it to use this as an investment. They're just in it to draw Stop out. Gap. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so it's one of those things that, you know, you just be careful about taking on clients that end up either costing you money in the long term because, you know, they were in it for a year and they sold after six months or, uh, clients that just drive your staff crazy, things like that. And that's, that's really a, a, a lot of the drive for our shift to um, being selective on clients is you know, our staff is just going crazy. Property management is tough business. You're a, a complaint department in most instances. Uh, so if you can limit the number of complaints or at least make them legitimate ones, uh, your staff will appreciate that a lot more. So that's that's been something that's kind of been a happy outcome of, of shifting to a, a different model of, I don't want doors. I want 
good property. It's a hell of a consolation prize. Everybody yeah, happy about yeah. your quality. Everybody of happy. Life. No, everyone's mostly happy. A property management is still a tough business. Do you have a full time business development manager? I don't. That's me. Uh, that was our 2023 goal. Uh, I'm still working on that. Uh, we've worked with a couple of vendors. Uh, I had a property manager leave, and so that kind of left us focusing on a PM hire. Um, but we were not looking. We weren't looking to grow in the last year. We were looking to um, really increase our efficiency and make sure that the product we are offering when we do grow is good. Uh, and so kind of prepping for for scale. Um, and I, I think I'm probably a little bit more um, conservative on growth. Um, you know, my, my goal is not to be the biggest property management company at Pensacola. It's not to, you know, just grow, grow, grow. And well, if you're profitable, you don't have yeah, to. Yeah, exactly. Well, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's this work-life balance. I very much enjoy my family time. I enjoy being able to travel and that kind of thing. And so for me, if I was going to grow to a thousand doors or $1,500, doors, uh, it'd be a real time commitment for that. And that's not my goal. My goal is to have a company that provides for the employees, provides for me, offers a really good product. You know, our, our, um, our business value is hometown, uh, sorry, world-class service, hometown values. And so we want to be able to offer a really good product, uh, and, you know, just growing, growing, growing is not the way to do that until you're prepared to do it. You know, if you've got a good product and the systems in place, then you can grow and be comfortable that every client's receiving the same service. And so that's what we focused on. We switched from portfolio manager to pod style. Uh, we leaned heavily into remotes, uh, heavily into lead simple on our processes. So we've been doing that really for the last probably 18 months. Uh, and I feel comfortable where we're at. And so now we're shifting into, all right, let's talk about business development. PMs. So tell me more about the fruit of that. I want to hear about the process, but the fruit end state now, how is the business, how does it feel different in general and specifically with quality of life for you now versus 18 months ago? Well, 18 months ago, we were still almost dealing with COVID. So quality of life was a bit different a conversation, enough, but, uh, but yeah, the, the, the time invested is certainly less than, uh, than it was 18 months ago. Um, and it's been, you know, happy to admit the company is more profitable, certainly more profitable per door, which is, is the metric that I focus on in most conversations. Uh, so that's, that's been really the big thing is to be able to say, Hey, we're making more money per door. So every door that I bring on now is a higher profit value with our customer service. You know, I focus very heavily on. Google reviews, despite the fact that it's tough to do Google reviews, you know, it's a complaint department again. So, uh, we focus on keeping our Google review very, very high. Uh, and we use that as kind of our metric for customer satisfaction. And we do surveys and things like that, but they're not necessarily as accurate as you always want them to be. Uh, so for me, you know, I'm less, less involved day to day and less hours in mm. with a more profitable company. And I, I would feel more, um, more relaxed staff. Uh, so that's been really our, our outcome over the last 18 months is to really get people where they're not just running and burning mm. eight hours a day and feeling like they're never caught up. Now there are those times, uh, but overall it's a, hey, we want people to be able to come in get their work done and be done at five o'clock. I don't want, you know, come and have conversations with PMs here. Oh yeah, I'm working till 10. I'm sending my text messages and emails at these conferences. And it's like, I don't want that. I want people to be able to do work enjoy their life. Uh, and some people, the work is their life and that's, that's a different conversation. Uh, but our goal is to have that work-life balance for, uh, for me and our staff. Um, and I think we've been able to do that. And again, 
if I'm if I'm sacrificing that for growth, then that's not working for us. If I'm sacrificing growth just to let people have a really easy job, there's a balance there. Um, but we've seen pretty good results on the amount of work our team is being having to put in and the success that's having on our you know our bottom line. Well, let's talk about some of the practical mechanics. Some folks are hearing this, they're having this great quality of life. <laughs> and I, I run into incredulity at times, like, well, that's great for you <laughs> yeah, yeah. in your situation, in your market. But if you were in my situation, you'd realize that I have to be working 80 hours a week. What did you practically do to optimize for quality of life at 600 doors, which is big enough to be plenty busy if you choose to do so? Sure, sure. Uh, I would say having the right team members is is very key to that. If you don't have a good staff, and I realize that's a very hard conversation to have, uh, you're not doing yourself any favors. And again, to the point of people listening in saying, well, you know, staff's hard to find these days. I agree. Um, but if, if you don't have the right people in the right positions, you're never, they're never going to be effective and you're going to be putting in more time than really would be necessary. So staffing is, is certainly number one. Um, and then utilizing the technology that we have at our fingertips to make life a lot easier. You know, we had a conversation with, uh, someone last night at the, the, the dinner or whatever that was, um, you know, they had a hundred doors. They were doing showings on a Excel spreadsheet, basically is the way she described that. Uh, and, and I, you know, I was the same way at a hundred doors. Like you, you may not necessarily be able to afford the technology. You should invest in it early. Uh, the technology really lets you utilize your people for people stuff, you know, scheduling showings. There are so many platforms out there that will do that now automatically. It's a no brainer at this point. So you're scheduling showings instead of being on the phone, trying to onboard new clients or, you know, right now we're getting into a market where we're going to have to start leasing again. We're going to have to start selling our rentals to tenants to get them to rent it. Uh, and that's again, a high value offering that your staff should be doing, not the, the stuff that really could be automated. So utilizing that technology to take a lot of that stuff off their plates so they can do the high value tasks that they should be good at. Uh, and then the remotes, uh, you know, they really, um, they take a lot of those tasks off of our, our in-office staff, um, you know, scheduling phone calls, uh, marketing, things like that, that you don't have to be in the office for, you don't have to have somebody here, uh, again, let's your in-office staff focus on, or let's you, if it's just your one man show, focus on the stuff that really brings in revenue or really problem solves or lets you grow the business. Uh, and so if you're, you're kind of bouncing along that line of, oh, I don't make enough money to invest. I have to put in the hours. You're, you're better off investing using, spending the money to let you grow and make enough money to do that. You know, it's a, um, cost benefit. If you're spending, you know, if you pay yourself 50 bucks an hour and you spend an hour answering emails or scheduling lockboxes, you've wasted $50 that you could have paid $10 for a software company. So you've really got to balance it. I think people struggle with that to, to make the commitment of saying, oh, I, you know, when I get to 200 doors, I'll hire a remote or I'll get to 200 doors and I'll, I'll do a staffing change or I'll do this software. You really should invest in the beginning. It's one thing I wish I'd done is, is invested head more heavily in the beginning. That way when we grew, we were already prepared because when we shifted, at, you know, 700 doors to different, different style of management, different software remotes, it was a much bigger task to shift to that. And it would have been just to do it from the beginning. 
How many hours do you work in a week, ballpark? Uh, I probably put in 40. 40 hours a week, yeah. okay. And for somebody that's kind of wondering how you keep a firm grip on things without actually gripping <laughs> the thing, how do you make sure that the work is being done, things are happening, et cetera? How do you maintain visibility into the, into the business? Uh, well, staffing is number one. Make sure you have the right people in the right place. Uh, and then again, I utilize technology pretty heavily to oversee, uh, a lot of what our team is doing. Uh, and then we have s certain metrics and, and KPIs that need to be met or should be met. Uh, and I can track those pretty easily through, uh, a lot of what we utilize. Uh, and so I do a lot of that. And then I have, you know, most of my 40 hours is usually meeting with our team members just to, you know, it's a quick 30 minute, 45 minute, just to go over big, we call them big rocks or big boulders, uh, so I can help them through those problems and see where we're at as far as, you know, are they stressed? Are they having issues? Are they, you know, are there personnel issues between an office staff members, things like that. So it, it's, it's a little bit of everything. Like you have people that are, they just have their dashboard and all right, we're doing good. And they go off. You really, for most, I think most companies, my size, uh, need to have some in-office presence where you're meeting with team members, even if they're remote. I'm, I meet with our remote team members too. Um, and they, they appreciate the opportunity to either learn more. And we use that as a little bit of a training opportunity too. So we were talking right before the episode started about your actual setup, you're a rent manager user. You've been using rent yeah. manager for a while. And it was just kind of funny to me that you mentioned that, like you talk about that with 10 to 12 times when you come to events yeah. like this, um, Give me your feedback on how long you've been using Rent Manager for now. So we started in 2009 uh, when I went to work for uh, the other company. We were on Rent Manager and we bought them out. We stayed with them. Uh, so I, gosh, I always joke about this. I probably use Rent Manager to 50 or 60% of its capacity. It's a very powerful platform that does a lot that we don't even, we don't utilize as much. We use either other platforms or we're not even involved in you know, like HOA or commercial management. Rent Manager does it, but we don't use it that uh so i'm a i'm a rent manager fan they have good customer service they uh they are responsive to needs as as much as a software company can be um but it is something that it has limitations it you know it it does things a certain way so if you're coming from another software it's a different animal and i think that's what a lot of people struggle with is you know if they're coming from a different job that used one of the other property management softwares it's it's different so the, the whole user interface is wildly different than most of the other ones. Uh, and so that's, that's the big hurdle, but, um, yeah, we've looked at moving, we've looked at staying. I just, I, I haven't yet seen the benefit of the other platforms to make a change worthwhile. It's interesting to me that Run Manager doesn't get more credit for integrations. <laughs> they have had an API <clears throat> and a lot of integrations. I mean, honestly, mm -hmm. I, I was on that, their, uh, integrations page the other day and it's insane how many integrations yeah. they have. You don't hear about that much. There's not a lot of airtime, but they've had a lot of integration. They have a lot now and they have had a API for an extended mm -hmm. period of time. We lead simple just actually is, is rolling out an integration right now. You were part of the beta test. Yeah. Yeah. For that um what other integrations are you making good use of there uh we use <clears throat> excuse me we use uh, a screening software we use an inspection software uh we use some of our banking softwares integrated through uh, rent manager and i agree that you know the conversation has been integrations uh across all the platforms 
uh, and Rent Manager has been kind of an open API or partially open API for a very long time. So their opportunities to be able to use all these different softwares has been there. Uh, and I think it's just because they've been there for so long that it's not the new sexy conversation topic. Uh, but yeah, we, we utilize that quite a bit. Uh, we're very excited to have the lead simple integration, uh, cause I would say we're getting close to being 50, 50 operating inside of rent manager and lead simple right now for our company, uh, at least as far as time commitment is concerned. Uh, so we're excited for that. Uh, I think, I think I got the email to roll out our integration on Friday. So yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, and I, I mentioned, you know, rent manager does a lot of things really well. Um, but they, they have a lot of their own ways to do things. So like inspections is one of them. There are a dozen inspection softwares out there. that are awesome. Really, really well. Rent manager also has an inspection platform inside of its, uh, product, but it's not as good as the other providers. Uh, and I think, you know, it's just a conversation of focusing on rent manager software and utilizing those integrations versus trying to do it all inside of rent manager. Because uh, if you're solely an inspection platform, your inspection platform is going to be awesome. But if you are a property management software and accounting software and um, 50 software and make, yeah, yeah, it's it's hard to, to focus on all of those and make them really awesome. Uh, and so I, I would encourage people to to look at the integrations really well and find a product that does exactly what you need it to very, very well, and then see if it'll integrate or how you can get it into integrate with Rent Manager in that way. Uh, and Zapier has changed a lot of that too. You can now make your own integrations realistically if you need to for a lot of the stuff that you do. Yeah, it's kind of the ugly truth about software vendors is that the reality is once you have somebody in the ecosystem, there is this awareness that you can roll something else out new. Yeah. And it doesn't quite have to have parity with a dedicated point solution in that category. And people are still, a lot of people are still going to use it because it's all rolled in. And there's there's upside and there's downside to that. Um, it's interesting to me that Rent Manager is owned by London Communications Systems. It was originally a telephony mm -hmm. provider. Do you use their phone integration setup? Yeah, we do. And I like, that's one thing they've done very well. And maybe that's because their origins come from that direction. Uh, but their, their phone system works really well. We struggled a little bit with our remotes uh, because most of their servers are based in Midwest. And so, you know, we had remotes logging in with one from South Africa and a few uh, from Central America that uh, the remote struggled a bit with the phones because the, the technical terms and all that, the ping time was too long. It was taking too long to get from server to server and back around. So we've utilized some VPNs, other softwares, um, but otherwise, yeah, their phone system was really, really good. Uh, the fact that it puts everything in your software works really, really well. I think they do integrate with a couple other phone providers, but it's not nearly the the depth that their own platform does there. Uh, so that is one rent manager product that I would recommend if you're a rent manager user, um, look into that because if you're not operating on a VoIP phone system, you're way behind. But if you're looking at options, their rent manager has a really good product for that too. Look, who've been some of your mentors in the business along the way? Uh, my dad has been the biggest one. You know, he's been in real estate sales, uh, gosh, it's been 35 years now. Um, and I, I don't like sales. I don't do real estate sales anymore. Um, I just never got to be the salesperson. Uh, but if if you met him, he he'd tell you he would never do property management. So uh, his his mentorship has been much more, you know, father son leading me down the path of life and, and instilling me the the values that I have. But you know, I meet with him once a week just to 
talk. Um, and he is, uh, he's a pretty fantastic person. So I would say him number one, uh, I've got a, uh, another friend. Um, actually it's another, um, one of my dad's friends, but he is, uh, he's a very successful cybersecurity, um, person now he just actually doesn't work. Um, but he was a, a big impact on my life when I was younger and a, positive way. And so, uh, he's been a pretty, uh, great influence moving on from that. Uh, and then I've had a few, few people in NARPM that, um, I don't, I don't think anybody recognize their names. Tell me. Uh, so, um, gosh, Nicole would be one of them. Uh, she's local in our office. She, I would give her credit for the largest property management company, uh, in Pensacola. Um, and she'd probably be embarrassed if I was talking about her, but, uh, she's been, a, a really good opportunity to bounce ideas off of a uh, bit of a commiserate and then a motivate to, Hey, we can do this better kind of, of person. So I've appreciated her, uh, her friendship over the years as well. So that's awesome. Yeah. The Narm from the community has really added a lot of depth. Yeah. I, you know, I get a lot of value from NARPM. Um, you know, I always come to these conferences and it's like drinking from a water hose. There's just, there's too much to go. So I always, you know, my goal is one thing, just take one thing away from a convention or a conference that adds value to the business, adds value to, to my life or makes things easier. Uh, and so, and most of the times I come back with four or five things, you know, my staff always makes fun of, I come back with my notebook full of notes and ideas and, you know, they get to be the ones to implement it. Um, but NARPM really does provide a value, uh, to be able to, to get ideas and, you know, speak with like-minded people that are looking for the same goals. Uh, you know, in a smaller market like ours, there can be a bit of a competition or a, you know, I don't want to help you because you're going to take doors from me, which is a very silly sentiment. Uh, you know, six out of 10 or seven out of 10 single family homes are self-managed. So our competition is not other companies. It's, you know, self-managed landlords. Um, but there is kind of that mentality sometimes. And I appreciate NARPM because that really opens the door to have conversations with those people that either in your market or in other markets that don't feel like you're a competitor. It's a, it's a, you know, a friendship there, a kindred, kindred spirits mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. What's the one thing you wish you could have gone back and helped yourself to understand earlier in your career? That's a tough question. Uh, it really would be focusing more on quality of client versus number of clients. Um, it's just, it, it has shifted just about everything in our business to make it more enjoyable um, and be more profitable. It's mm. just, um, you know, it, it has changed how we manage, who we manage, why we manage. Uh, so it shifted that whole conversation and that would have been a much, you know, we would have been a much different place if it started it back in 2011 versus, uh, you know, four years ago when we really focused on that. Uh, so it's one of those like, man, I wish I'd done that, but otherwise focusing in on, um, full tilt into some of the stuff that we use now versus trying to tiptoe would be the other thing that I would tell people to do is just, uh, you know, if you're hesitant on something, you're never going to do it. Um, and actually lead simple was responsible for some of that mentality shift too. Cause I was always a perfectionist of like, this is going to be perfect before I roll it out. We can't, you know, we can't put this thing out there until all the verbiage is correct and all of our marketing is correct. And you know, everyone's ready for it. No, no, just get it 80% of the way there. Good, not perfect. Uh, because yeah, it'll never be perfect or you'll never roll it out. Uh, and so we, we wasted a lot of time with that mentality. And, and, uh, when we wrote a lot of our lead simple stuff out, uh, the push was 
we'll get this out and then we'll make it perfect. And that's what we did. The client quality piece is really interesting to me because I hear you saying hours wise, you're working a normal work week, mm -hmm. but stress does not necessarily just related to time, right? Sure. 40 hours doing something that feels fulfilling versus 40 hours with 20 of those having somebody yelling at yeah, you yeah, yeah. feels really, really differently. When you think about your dreams and aspirations for the business now, what are you aiming at over the next couple of years? Uh, I'd really, I'd really like to, you know, I have, again, I'm going back to my old doors number, but I'd like to get us to a thousand doors, quality doors. Uh, and the reason I say that is I know our profit per door. And so I have a profit goal to get to, and that, that is at realistically a thousand. Uh, and my goal at that point would be to be hands off for, from a business uh, owner standpoint is I've got a, the team in place that they're running the day to day, um, and really handling everything. So I can focus on other aspirations. I really enjoy the development side of real estate. I enjoy, um, you know, flips in my own properties. Uh, that is the, I like do that. I could do 80 hours a week and be very, very happy. Cause I enjoy that side of stuff quite a bit. Uh, so that would let me focus a lot more on that. Um, and then, you know, focus a lot on our travel and stuff that we do with my wife. Uh, another one of our mentors that I didn't mention, um, very pleased with him. He has a, a three or 400 door company spends half the year in Mexico. He has a good team of place and yeah, he's a, he's a bit older, uh, and probably what he would call retirement. Um, but that is a very good place to be is if you've got a, a company that makes you money to let you do what you want to do, mm. Mm. it doesn't have to be a thousand dollars. It doesn't have to be this huge, you know, mm -hmm. multi-state mm -hmm. operation. Mm -hmm. If it lets you do what you want to do, then that's a success. Uh, and so that's what I would like to get to is get to a point where I'm, I'm doing more of the outside developmental real estate stuff, um, and letting my team handle things. It's really interesting to me how folks project their own goals onto other people's. Yeah. I meet folks that do want to blow well past a thousand doors. <laughs> they want to get to 2000, 3000. And there's like this assumptive sort of thing. Well, like, well, like obviously that should be the goal for mm -hmm. other people as well. And the reality is like, it's so unique and individual. And if you're on the flip side of that and you're managing 300 doors mm -hmm. and you're working a day a week, it probably seems really obvious that everybody else should be doing that as yeah, well. Yeah. Everybody's got to chart their course. What I love about you just articulated, that feels really practical that the goal of getting to a thousand doors and then progressively pulling back your time, it just seems like something you could absolutely do and yeah. be working towards. Well, and to your point, you know, there's this, and maybe the social media is partly to blame of this mentality of, you know, you just have to be this wildly successful go, 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 go person. Mm -hmm. There's, there's nothing wrong with being an eight to five. I go home and spend time with my family, mm -hmm. like the, well, the world, the U S was built on that kind of person, you know, the, the, the workers being happy and going home and spending time with their family. And it's just, it's shifted to this. Well, if you're not, you know, putting in the long hours and going to all these exotic places and doing all this stuff, you're, you're not really happy. And it's like, well, that's not really the case. There's nothing wrong with just being happy, doing what you enjoy and then having the time to do what else, uh, you know, work doesn't have to necessarily be all encompassing for you. You know, the entrepreneur, obviously the business builders and things like that, you got to have a bit different mm -hmm. mindset, but not everyone mm -hmm. wants to do that, needs to do that, uh, is capable of doing that. And so there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and to the point of like projecting, why wouldn't you want to do bigger? Like that's a, 
it's not a good mindset. You should be encouraging me. All right, I can get you to a thousand doors and then I'm getting you out. This is my goal. I'm going to get you out because that's what you want. Instead, people are, mm -hmm. are very focused on, well, why would not, why not more? Why not bigger? Uh, and I just, I don't agree with that mindset. And it's, you know, it's a weird shift that we've seen probably in the last 20 years of, um, you're not wildly successful unless you're wildly successful. The older I get, the more off-putting it is to look on social media and to see the picture <laughs> of the guy in the chat and to realize that what I'm supposed to be subconsciously picking up is like, one day that could be me, you know? And if I had that chat, then my life would have meaning and significance. And that is a load yeah. of crap. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the reality is that meaning is assigned meaning is made up whether that's meaning with spending time with your family meaning having the jet what's really difficult is reasoning by proxy meaning like if i get this thing then i will have permission to feel a certain way yeah. about my life and that's really a lie for the vast majority of people on the planet it's the chase it's the pursuit of something that gives meaning not the having yeah. of the thing there is no thing that somebody can give you that will pro provide meaning in your life for me what i know is that the people that i'm working with and the way that i'm working is what's giving me a sense of purpose and part of that is ambition because the posture that i hold when in pursuit of something big for me allows me to show up at my best, but I'm not thinking that when I get this thing, all my wildest dreams yeah. will come true. So it's really about like, I mean, it's, it's so cliche, but it's like, it's about the journey <laughs> yeah. along the way. Yeah. hundred percent. I, uh, I'll give credit to my dad. Uh, he, you know, he runs a, a real estate company. Um, and he, he is successful. He has a very big real estate company, but not the, the jet, you know, mega mansions, cars and things like that, that you would expect somebody who were running a, a large real estate company to have. Uh, and I give him a hard time because, you know, he just, his, um, if you, t if you asked him, his purpose in life is to be the dad. And I do quotes because obviously he is my dad. So there's a bit of a, a connection there, but it is to help people grow into their best self. So he uses his experience as a dad to then do that for other people. And so his, you know, if you ask him, his goal will never be to make money. He would be happy making zero money if he was improving people's lives. Uh, and I, you know, growing up and probably into, you know, my late twenties struggled with that a lot. Cause I was like, dad, these people are taking advantage of you. You know, you're losing money for this. You're, you know, you're, you could be way bigger if you were just taking care of you. And he's like, that's not what I'm here for. Hmm. I'm here to improve his agents as his family. Uh, I'm here to improve my agents' lives and build their careers. Uh, so he very much is the journey type of person. Um, I'm I'm a little less of him. Um, I'm a little more pragmatic, which I think I get from my mom's a bit more. Uh, but he very much is uh, the journey type person and focusing on others. Uh, and so that's always been really enjoyable is, is seeing how well he does with that. Because if turns out when you focus on others, you then are successful. Uh, it, it's like materially, uh, yeah, it comes back. Yeah. To it a hundred percent comes back to you. Giver's gain is, is his big mm -hmm. thing. Um, 
So he uh, he has instilled a lot in that of me. I still struggle with it a bit because you know, the jet looks very sexy. But, <laughs> <laughs> but we could get a whole conversation of if you talk to the people that do that, they're just they're not nearly as happy. They're you know they look happy on social media, but a lot of times they're they're not there. So. Yeah, I want it now. Yeah, whatever it is, whatever it is for whoever is listening to this, get it now. Yeah, have it now. Don't be chasing this happiness down the road. Absolutely. That was great, and I love that anecdote about your dad. That's yeah. that's amazing. You, you seem like, um, man, it just seems like a really rare thing to have that kind of yeah. admiration he, and respect. He will, he will make fun of me a bit because he tells that story all the time. There's a whole backstory to where he came up with, with the dad, uh, and he tells that story probably once a month. Uh, so I hear it all the time, um, but it, it resonates really well with people because it, um, it is a, a, a good way to define yourself. I love that. Thank you for sharing your version of success yeah. with us and with the audience today. I appreciate yeah, you coming on. Thank you. It's enjoyable. I appreciate it. Until next time. Peace. <laughs> That's it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. You can check out other episodes along the way. If you're watching this on YouTube, appreciate to subscribe. Any comments, I'm always here to engage. If you're listening on an audio platform, would really appreciate a review. It's a great way to help other people find out about the show.